Well, thank you. So, uh, my name is Evan, and I'm the sucker who volunteered to run this thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, a lot of people give me credit, but it's because of 40, 50, 60 volunteers year-round that this happens. I could do nothing alone. I used to, and that's how I got that. When I did it alone, I had hair. Um, so our hashtag throughout the weekend is VCF East. Please use it. And that's our website. Uh, could somebody advance a slide, please? Nobody's at the slide. Oh, here. I'll do it. Okay. I volunteer myself. Okay. Um, okay. So how many of you knew a guy named Dan Roganti? Okay. So Dan Roganti was one of our original members of our group, like in 2005. Uh, last year, he couldn't make it here because he was fighting stage four cancer. And unfortunately, he did pass away. His daughters are here. I know he'd be very proud of that. Uh, Dan used to design all our old t-shirts, all the old really awesome t-shirts, if anybody has one, because of Dan. So we dedicate this year's show to my friend Dan. Uh, special thanks to InfoAge Science Center for hosting us, uh, Hackaday, our sponsor. Um, a few days ago, uh, Hackaday tweeted us to 400,000 people. Uh, ACM tweeted us to 40,000 people. Bell Labs tweeted us to 20,000 people. And Ars Technica tweeted us to 1.1 million people. Um, what if they come? <laughs> um, when you all walked in, you got a little miniature program booklet. One side is yesterday's schedule, so ignore that part. But on the bottom of that, there's a QR code for a show survey. We need to know how we did so we can get better next year, and you can win a polo shirt or a VCF swag. So please fill that out. And you can give it at the front desk. Uh, I'll talk about some improvements in our museum real fast. We recently installed security cameras. Yes. That's Martin. Last year, our network consisted of a Raspberry Pi for a server, a Linksys home router, and a consumer-grade little UPS, <coughs> and, that, and a couple of $50 closeout discount tablets. Now we have a proper network. Uh, Minuteman donated a brand new rack mount UPS. We have real, real servers and, and Cisco equipment and, and the whole nine yards. So a real network now is a nice thing to have. And access points on the ceilings and POE and everything else, so it's pretty awesome. And that's all thanks to your donations from the event who raises money so we can do things like this. There is a computer called a VAX 9000. It is the computationally and physically largest computer deck ever built. There were about three dozen ever made, and we got the last one. It was in service six months ago by an Air Force defense contractor in Colorado who won't tell us what they did with it. Um, our policy is we only accept donations. We do not purchase artifacts. They were happy to give it to us, but we had to go get it from Colorado. One member, you know who you are, gave us a five-figure check to hire a tractor teller to do it. Thank you, sir. Um, and uh, our plan is to restore it. It, does, it just, yeah. Um, so we need a bigger space to put it on display, and we need the capital fund. We're just beginning over the next five years or so to raise a quarter million dollars to have a bigger building here on campus. And again, events like this enable that to happen. Uh, my girlfriend Charlotte, who is at the front desk you met, we decided to make a big arrow pointing to our information kiosk. It is not the blue rack or the IBM 1130. It is in the middle between them. You can't see it. 
Um, yeah, well, oh yeah, it's, I don't know how that, that's the next slide that shouldn't even, it may be in there, I don't know. But anyway, that is the information kiosk. It picture doesn't do it justice. It's a touchscreen monitor and a little PC. Um, we want to have four or five or six of those throughout the museum. Again, these things cost money, so we have events. Uh, we made the, the arrow, the big arrow, we did not intend for it to look like an Amiga cursor, but it does. Um, so that was a happy accident, very happy accident. Uh, there was a store in Manhattan called TechServe from about 1980 to a few years ago. They went out of business and they auctioned all their assets on eBay. Somebody in Los Angeles had a brother in New York who was an Apple fan. As a joke, the guy bid on the auction for like 100 bucks, took a screen capture, sent it to his brother-in-law, aha, I bid on the sign. Two weeks later, got an email, you won the auction. Uh, <laughs> local pickup only in New York. The guy's brother-in-law was like, I don't want it, my wife will leave me. So the guy in LA spent, like, called the Museum of Natural History, the Smithsonian, no one gave him the time of day. 20 calls later, someone told about someone, told about someone, told about us, and he said, please take the sign. Um, that was a few years ago. One of the new things this year, next to the consignment room, we have a software store, and we hung this sign up in a software store, and thanks to Tony and Jason, we powered it up. Um, I, w I was reading an article in, in the local newspaper a few weeks ago about an abandoned local shopping mall. I was just bored, scrolled through the pictures of inside the mall, and saw a Radio Shack store with the sign. And the article said who the management company was. So you know what I did. And this summer we're getting the Radio Shack store sign. Uh, if anybody wants to donate an artifact or donate funds or volunteer or just take part or otherwise learn about us, please call me, email me anytime. So highlights is here. Uh, we have two exhibit halls. Historically, people only find the first exhibit hall and don't go down a ramp to the second one. What's funny is we get rave reviews of people who saw they think they saw the whole show. They rave about it. So, do you know there was a whole second bigger exhibit hall? <laughs> and they rave about the first. So please see both exhibit halls. The second exhibit hall, we have a special exhibit called Unix Town and a special Atari exhibit this year with like 14, 15 exhibits, all Atari and Unix. Because tomorrow is Joe DeCure from Atari and Amiga. And you know, a few years ago when we had Brian here as a speaker, uh, it was a room like this, totally filled out. It was a tent, actually. Um, and the next day, uh, Bob Frankston from VisiCalc had to fill his shoes. And I said then, I'll say now, I feel sorry for Joe DeCure tomorrow from Atari, because he can't possibly fill your shoes, Ken. Um, we have a vendor room by the, front, by the front lobby. We have a huge consignment thing down the hall here, the software store. Uh, we have Glitchworks Workshop, single board computers, Learn to Solder Workshop. Uh, our museum will be open. The rest of the museums will be open as well. Down the street, the satellite dish and food, om nom nom. Um, all this stuff has to be staffed by our volunteers. So after the speech, let them do their job. Give them 10, 15 minutes to open everything up so the exhibitors can get to their exhibits before you guys do. Um, but you didn't come to hear me. So, Amanda, does anyone not know who Ken Thompson is? Okay. Okay, good. Without any further delay, Mr. Ken Thompson, co-inventor of Unix. And, 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 Brian and Brian Kernigan, the K and K and R.
<laughs> okay, so if somebody turns that thing off or stands in front of it, maybe you want to move out of the doors and in front of the projector, that would do it. Great. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and I'm going to sit as well so that I don't fall off the stage. So what we're going to do today um, is a fireside chat. And I suppose somebody could put out a little, you know, Yule log or, or something like that. Um, better. Okay. Yeah, we don't need that. Um, so Ken and I uh, were at Bell Labs together a very, very long time ago. Uh, he arrived at Bell Labs in the mid-60s. I'll let him say more about that. And I arrived as a, a summer intern in 67. And fortunately, this is one of these, you know, boy, talk about being in the right place at the right time by blind luck. Uh, I was in the same group as Ken. My office was directly across the hall from him for about 30 years. We retired essentially the same day in 2000 and went separate ways. Uh, but we've kept in touch over all of that time. And actually, this week, I think, is the first time that I have seen him physically since we left Bell Labs. Uh, he hasn't changed. So, <laughs> so, so it's actually been fun. Uh, on um, Tuesday, he gave a guest appearance in my uh, class at Princeton with a group that was much smaller than this um, and substantially younger. But... Uh, <laughs> Maybe not even dressed in the same kinds of t-shirts. Anyway, uh, we, we had a great time with that uh, as at the fireside chat idea. And so basically what we're going to do is the same thing here. I will ask Ken some leading questions, let him do all the talking, um, and then partway through we will encourage the audience to ask questions as well. Okay, so that's where we're going. Um, and to do that, <coughs> pull out my little set of notes, one piece of paper, too small print, yes, yes. Um, Okay, uh, something that Evan didn't mention, by the way, is that Ken uh, obviously uh, created the Unix operating system uh, with Dennis Ritchie, uh, a system that we all know and love and have used for a very, very long time. Um, he's been recognized for that with all kinds of awards, and I will not embarrass him by going through too many of them, uh, but it includes things like the uh, ACM's Turing Award in 1983 and the National Medal of Technology and the Japan Prize. Uh, he's a member of the National Academy of Engineering and the National Academy of Sciences. Um, and uh, the reason that he's on the East Coast, normally he's in California, the reason he's on the East Coast is that on Thursday he was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in D.C. So. <laughs> so let me uh, at this point stop talking. And Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about early life, and in particular, how you got to Bell Labs? Oh, uh, I, I, I was in school in uh, Berkeley, and I was, uh, uh, I don't know if the term still applies, but I was a professional student, right? I just, I just drifted along, I you know, enrolled in class, I got an electrical engineering degree, but it was easy because... Uh, I was an electrical hobbyist for essentially 10 years before that. And, uh, but I consumed computers, you know, I loved them, you know. Uh, uh, and, and at that time, there was no computer science curriculum at, at Berkeley. So uh, it was being invented, and there was a, a big political fight between electrical engineering and math to decide who gets this new realm. 
Uh, and the fight, although they didn't know it, was whether it was going to be mathematical computer science or computer computer science. And uh, computer people won. Uh, so I was, I was drifting along the summer after I uh, graduated. And that was a surprise, because uh, I didn't know that I'd gotten all the requirements. <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, just going to stay in the, in the university because uh, I, I owned it. I don't know how to describe this, but I, my fingers were in absolutely everything. I had uh, the, com the main monster computer at the university uh, shut down at midnight, and I'd come in with my key, and I'd open it up, and I'd, it'd be my personal computer for the <laughs> till 8 a.m. Uh, so that's the kind of thing. So I was happy. I wasn't, you know, uh, no ambition, you know, is another way of describing Extreme work. I mean, I was a workaholic, but for no goal. There was no goal out there for what I was doing. And a teacher who happened to be a, uh, uh, a one-year one teacher from Bell Labs came out, taught a real computer course, which I took, audited. Uh, and after that, uh, uh, in, the in, the, in the next summer, uh, I didn't apply for graduate school. To be honest, I didn't think I was good enough. And uh, uh, right towards uh, the end of the summer, my this friend, the now friend, uh, gave me a class schedule and says, here's your classes for grad school. He had applied, and, <laughs> and I got accepted. <laughs> And I think it was with his recommendation, but I'm not positive, and, uh, and enrolled. And that's how I got into grad school. Uh, then during that year, uh, uh, th th there's big recruiting towards the end of that year where uh, all the companies come out and try to do this. Now, I didn't recruit. I didn't go to any of these. They had booths lined up in the gym, you know, one after the other. And... Uh, uh, I kept getting schedules, be it, be it the Bell Labs booth on, you know, <laughs> such and such a time, and it just went over my head. I, I wasn't interested until finally the whole week had gone by and I'd skipped maybe six or eight recruit attempts by Bell Labs. Again, you know, no, no ambition. Uh, uh, the Bell Labs recruiter came and knocked on my door at home. <laughs> I invited him in and... His story is, I don't remember it, but his story is that I gave him ginger snaps and beer for, for a... <laughs> and we talked and we talked and we talked, and then he left. So that was my recruiting for, um, for Bell Labs. Then I got a request to come out for an interview to the East Coast in New Jersey. And uh, uh, I told him no. <laughs> and they said... Uh, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm not interested in a, in a job in a commercial institution, and uh, I'd just be taking your money. I don't feel right about taking your, your, your money to go out there. And I says, well, take it. Do it. Go take it. Come out and visit us. Come and look. And I says, well, I, I, could, I have friends on the East Coast from, from high school days, and uh, I could come out and, and uh, interview, you know. Uh, they wanted two days of interview, and I said, not only one. And... And then I'll, I'll get in and I'll drive down the East Coast and visit all my friends. Uh, and they said, okay, okay. And I said, but be warned. I mean, the answer is no, I don't want a job. So I went out there and 
the very first thing I did was walk down the corridor of the first place I, I went, which was research, computer science research at Bell Laboratories. And every name on the doors on the way down, I knew, you know, and it was, it was just shocking. And then I was interviewed by two amazing people. Uh, one of them is a, a big co-author with uh, Brian Chinlin. They did the traveling salesman uh, heuristic th uh, programming. Um, and uh, so I got, then I got in my rent-a-car after the day and I drove down the East Coast and that. And somehow they tracked me and there was a, <laughs> there was, there was a uh, 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 offer waiting at like the third stop down the East Coast. <laughs> And I picked up the offer and drove it from one stop to another, which was maybe two hours, thinking about it. And then when I got to the next friend's house, I called him and said, okay. So that's, <laughs> that's Bell Labs, 35 years. Yeah, I chose it. Back in the good old, good old days, uh, some people really knew what they were doing. Uh, not Ken, but uh, Bell Labs. <laughs> So once you got to uh, Bell Labs, obviously there was uh, work on a variety of things, one of which was Multics, and out of that experience came Unix. Do you want to talk some about that sort of evolution, how you got started into that yeah. part of the well, world? Well, Multics, I, I don't know if anybody, well, um, have you studied ar ar archaeology? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, it was a monsterly over-engineered, over-big, big project. And it's a typical second system syndrome where they had a very nice time sharing system uh, uh, at MIT and they decided they were going to do the next one better. That's kiss of death. And so they, they uh, cooperated in a, in a, a three-way thing with, with MIT, Bell Labs, and General Electric. Uh, General Electric provided the machine. It, it couldn't run on a normal machine. It had to have its own machine. Uh, monster, and um, then programming was done at Bell Labs, and um, but it was mostly designed at MIT. And so we got these things, you know, do this, do this, do this, and we did them. And mostly, I was uninspired. Uh, I, I do it, and it was good, good work. I mean, you know, I was, I was, I was a pretty good programmer. I just. I just didn't know what I was, you know, it was a notch in a big wheel and, and, I, uh, and, and it was producing something that I didn't know, uh, didn't want to use myself. Uh, at some point, management realized this, Bill Ebb's management, and they backed out of the project. So it now became just, not General Electric, who was the follow-on? Uh, Honeywell. Honeywell, Honeywell. Honeywell and MIT. Uh, and Bell Labs backed out. Uh, but they back out with a nasty taste in their mouth. You know, uh, uh, we don't do operating systems. No, you know. And here I was. I wanted to do operating systems. So I, I, I actually found a. Um, it was called a workstation. It's PDB7. It was a remote job entry for electrical engineering circuits. You draw a circuit on a CRT tube, and you push a button. The circuit goes into the main computer by way of. Um, uh, data sets, kind of, you know, telephone lines. Uh, and they do the crunching, and they come back, and then you, you can get the, 
uh, transfer functions of various sorts on, on, your, on the screen, all electrical engineering. Uh, I just took it over and made some games on it. Uh, there, there, there was a, there was a, uh, one of the nice things about this is it had a monster, it had a, this horrible, you know, kind of round scope like old TV, you know, about this big around, but it had a hood that went like this and bifurcated your, your eyes. And, uh, you know, that was great. <laughs> so, so I built a little uh, shoot 'em up space thing where you, uh, uh, two guys out there in a very large space, and when you find each other, you start shooting at each other, and, and if you get on their tail, they can't get rid of you, so you're gonna win if you can actually maneuver to get on their tail. But as you get on their tail, you see all their, their fire coming out around you. It's, it's pretty, it was fun. And, uh, but you had to have a partner, so that's what I used the telephone sets for. There were probably 10 of these uh, remote job entry stations around, and I arranged to have them all loaded with my program, and somebody just wander over, <laughs> look in, and, and, and choose, you know, you know, any one of the combinatorics to find out who you're going to fight. And so you're sitting there, and you don't know who you're fighting, and you're just... So I, I'm sorry. I'm wasting too much time. <laughs> Press on. No, I'd not even heard okay. that story. <laughs> the, uh, the next thing was a, um, uh, I was interested in a disc. This PDB-7 had a disc. Uh, no other PDB-7 had one like this. It was six feet tall and uh, a single platter, and the platter was uh, on the vertical around, and, and there was kind of a folklore, you know, you don't stand in front of it and you don't stand in back of it because if it, if it lets go, it'll be like a propeller on an airplane going through. <laughs> and it was fast. It was too fast for the machine, which was, you know, kind of a shame you couldn't make good use of it. But I, I, I wrote a, a, a disk scheduling algorithm to try to maximize throughput on, on potentially any disk, but in particular this disk. Uh, got it going, uh, but then I had to taste, test it. I had, to, I had to load it up with work. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't say read. And you get something back. That's any desk can do that. Uh, so I had to, you know, load it up, get it, get it really, you know, test its throughput under different algorithms and things. Uh, and uh, for that, I needed, I needed some programs on the side to do that. And so I started writing these programs on the side. And at some point. I realized, without knowing it up until that point, that I was three weeks from an operating system uh, with three programs, one a week. An editor, I needed an editor to write code. Uh, I needed an assembler to turn the code into language I could run. And I needed a little kernel kind of overlay, call it an operating system. and. Luckily, right at that moment, my wife went on a three-week vacation <laughs> to take my, my uh, 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 one-year-old, roughly, uh, uh, to visit my in-laws who were in California. Uh, disappeared all alone, and one week, one week, one week, and we had Unix. Uh, Yeah, I, I think programmers aren't quite as productive these days as they used to be. <laughs> so, for
from that PDP-7, things went on. Somewhere you uh, enlisted Dennis, or he enlisted you. Do you want to say more about how that evolved? Oh, I've, uh, when Unix hmm. was running, it was by far, even though it was a crummy little you know, factor of 10 slower computer than the, op, you know, the, the comp center, uh, I started picking <clears> up really impressive users on this machine. It had two stations. It had the, uh, uh, I put a, a scribble text on this scope. That was one station. And then I had a Model 33 teletype on the other one. That's, that's the, uh, <laughs> that, uh, the uh, 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 so two at a time. Uh, were you on the seven? I don't know. I have a single digit user ID on one of those systems. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dennis was a user. Um, McElroy was a user. Morris was a user. I think that was about it. Maybe yeah. that was uh, that was on the, that was the order of the user community on the single machine. Uh, the uh, uh, Bell Labs still had a, a nasty taste in its mouth from its uh, uh, horrible, you know, operating system. No more operating systems. So we made a proposal uh, to get a PDP-10, which was like the time-sharing computer of the day. Uh, to port Unix onto you know this 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 operating system which which every everybody meaning the four of us uh, liked uh, and it was re soundly rejected when it fit into the typical budget of of somebody requesting something usually a single person at Bell Labs could consume roughly their loaded salary in a year on the side so. The, the notion was that somebody's salary, their loaded salary, that included the building and the guards and the things, their loaded salary uh, twice over was kind of the budget for Bell Labs. And so, uh, you know, you get four people together, you can get multi-million things, you know, five people. Um, uh, so we were well within budget. We, a we asked for this PDB-10 and it was said, no, we, we don't do operating systems, we don't do it. So. One of our fellows, uh, 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 um, Joe Osana, yeah. uh, came up with a, I'm trying to use a better word, lie. <laughs> <laughs> Where they were going, the patent uh, office was uh, going to buy a special hmm. purpose editing complex to edit, store, and modify patents. They have their own uh, formatting requirements. They have their own uh, numbering. They, they, they're unique, no normal editing thing. So, so some company was going to uh, try to, uh, 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 was selling some, some computers you know, for patent applications. And we said, aha, <laughs> we can do that. And we'll save all this money. So, so the second proposal was to save money rather than to spend it. And, and for a machine that wasn't on, op, no operating system, honest. <laughs> <laughs> and it was for somebody else. It was all, you know, uh, 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 you know it was a three-way win. It was impossible to say no. So we got it. Uh, and instantly reported Unix to it. <laughs> and then Joe Osana believed us, which was, I don't know why he did, but he wrote what, uh, 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 NROF and TROF with enough macro power to um, do the patent. And then at some point, 
then we were actually doing patents. During the day, we'd have uh, uh, 10 patent uh, um, uh, secretaries, I guess, which is a dirty word now, uh, on typing in patents, patents, patents. And, uh, and, and, and we'd print them, in it and, but we'd do our own work at night, but we wouldn't do anything serious because this was an unprotected machine and would crash if you do anything remotely malicious, like, you know, writing machine language. <laughs> uh, and then the patent office took our machine, they loved it, and bought us with the help of uh, an adjacent. Still, we, we couldn't be in operating systems. Uh, bought it with, with the adjacent uh, McMahon... Uh, Computer Center stuff? Max. Oh, yeah, the, the acoustics people. The right? acoustic people, right. <clears throat> they, um, they actually footed the bill and said, here, you know, because Bell Labs was a special place. It had so much money you couldn't... You couldn't it, there was a tax on every phone in the whole country, and 1% of that went to the bill apps. I mean, wow. it's boom. So it was a, I think this is your word. It wasn't a budget. It was a quota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a license to spend money in some sense, but for the good of everybody. So, yeah. so we got... Uh, now, the first one was a PDP-11. I don't know if any of you have seen a PDP-11 with a slash 20 on it. No slash 20, a PDP-11. Okay, there were very few of them made. Uh, we got it before the peripherals came, and uh, um, uh, um, uh, Morris wrote DC. I think it was the very first program ever written on the PDP-11. And it was, while it was... Uh, still a paper tape operating system because the disk hadn't come. And, and we were doing some porting and writing an assembler that we could live with for that machine and some other things in preparation and testing it with the assembly language for DC. Um, and then when it came, it almost came up Unix almost instantly when like the disk and the, the communications, the tele, uh, teletype, remote teletype communications gear came in, which was feverishly trying to uh, build in real time. So it was not very, this would probably be roughly what, 71, 70, 71, that yes, era? Yes, yes, right. uh, 70. Yeah. So it wasn't very long after that that the, uh, I think in some sense, the most obvious new contribution of Unix came along, which is the invention of pipes. You want to say something about pipes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the PDB-7 actually had a, a, a little thing called uh, IPC, and uh, inner, inner something, something connect, uh, communication. And, and you could stuff something in and pull something out. It wasn't queued. It was just a something. Uh, but it, both processes that did this had to communicate. And we experimented with it for doing some things, but basically it was a worthless interface and was never known or described or used on the PDP-7. Uh, I did that because my immediate su supervisor, department head is the name of the title he had, uh, <coughs> wrote a paper uh, that, that has come around the, the internet, it, it's, on, it's online, saying, wouldn't it be great to kind of connect programs up like in a mesh, in a, you know, 
And I thought about that seriously and decided that I just couldn't make it work because of cues uh, uh, would explode or cues would draw if you just kind of let everything just you know read and write in these random mesh kind of um, anarchy you know uh, connection of processes. Uh, also, I didn't think of any real program except uh, um, uh, mesh-like programs today, whether, you know, these kind of things, where it would be any good, would be worthwhile. So I put it off. I, I put this IPC in the 7 so that it was possible to actually do that if you wanted, if they were all cooperating. It was never done. Nobody, it was just, you know, it was the wrong idea. And one day, I, 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 I got this idea, and, and pipes, you know, essentially exactly as they are today. And uh, I put them in the operating system in an hour. They're trivial. They really are super trivial when you've got redirecting I.O. like, like uh, Unix already had. And uh, uh, wrote a shell, um, uh, and I tried it out on a couple of things, and, and the idea was it was just mind-blowing to us that, that Dennis and I came in and rewrote everything in the world, our world, uh, in one night. We converted everything, and the mo what, mostly what we did is throw out extraneous messages that, uh, like sort would never say, hey, I'm sorting, you know, I'm merging, I'm doing this, I'm working on this file. All that, you know, all that garbage is gone, you know. Uh, uh, sort would read, sort, then write. And suddenly sort was what we called a filter in, the, in that day. And then we converted, filled ev everything that, that uh, processed something, we, we converted into filters. Uh, it was massive and, and just exciting. And my favorite thing was uh, DC, again, uh, desk calculator. Uh, we uh, uh, wrote a program uh, that would take numbers and convert them into words. You know, you, you, 500 would turn into 5,000, right? And, and so you could connect up DC to uh, numbers, this word thing called numbers, and then we had a speech synthesizer, and you connect that to the speech synthesis. And you'd go one, two, you'd type one, two, plus, and it would say, Four, you know, whatever it would say. I'm, I'm the, I was never good at math. <laughs> and and those kind of things just came spontaneously, you know, just you know, interconnections of things that were never meant to to be in the same room together. Uh, so anyway, that 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 was um, a frenzy. It was almost like a uh, uh, like like these fish eating the cow, you know, whatever, whatever yeah, yeah. South American fish. Yeah, no, I remember that. It really was. Frenzy is the right word. It was like, wow, look at all these things you can do. And, and the world changed essentially overnight at that point. Um, so I, I've got a bunch of other things here. I wonder about, do you want to talk about some of the other things that you have done over the years that are in and around this? For example, uh, a program that I was telling class the other day, they've been using we, all of us, have been using since probably about 1971 or 72, so it's much older than my students. It's not older than some of you, but it's older than many of you. Uh, this program called GREP. Remember GREP? Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. 
I wrote, wrote grep, grep almost as it is, right? And had it, at some point I decided that I shouldn't be the pusher of the bin directory. I, you know, that if there was a consensus or if there was a need or something, then something I might have written would go into, but, but things I wrote would go into my directory, you know, and, and I, I, I didn't want to be the, I don't know, what's the word? Benevolent uh, dictator for life. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, or the heroin addict, you know. Uh, the pusher, not the, the addict. Um, uh, so I had grep squirreled away, and I'd use it for everything. And, the, and again, Doug McElroy, my department head, came in and said, you know, it would be really great if we could look for things in files and, and, and do this. And I said, well, let me think. I'll, I'll think about it overnight. <laughs> so the overnight think was basically getting rid of bugs and things that I'd meant to do that I hadn't done. And, you know, an hour work maybe at most. And next day I presented him with grep, and he was, that's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so grep moved from my directory into the bin directory and became a, a, a noun and a verb and is... is a, uh, it, it, the next version of the OED had it in it as a real word, too. <laughs> the, the hardest part was naming it. <laughs> and uh, uh, it wasn't called grep when it was mine. And uh, I think it was called S for search, some, you know, some, something in my, my vocabulary. Uh, and and uh, so, anyway, grep came up when I uh, uh, decided what it was really what it was. Yeah, yeah there was a, <clears throat> there was for a while a bumper sticker and a slogan that AT and T put out called "Reach out and grep someone." Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and I, at the time, our vice president of research was Arno Penzias, you know, uh, winner of Nobel Prize for finding the background or identifying the background radiation. Uh, and uh, somebody said that he could use this in a talk, you know, reach out and grep someone, but he wanted to be sort of sure what that meant. <laughs> and so he asked me, you know, is this okay and what does it mean? And so I got to explain it to him. Um, other things that you've been involved with for a long time include languages. There were the very early languages like B and Bon and uh, even before that, and all the way through now to uh, your work with Go, uh, with Rob Pike and Robert Griesmer. You want to talk about languages and evolution? And uh, uh, sure. Uh, well, so I'll, I'll try early history. Um, again, my department head, McElroy keeps coming up. He's the he's the smartest of all of us, and the least remembered or written down of all of us. Um, had a, uh, a friend, Robert McClure, who had a language called TMG. And McClure got very defensive, what's the word? Commercial, yeah. about <laughs> his language. And wouldn't let it out. And uh, when he left Bell Labs, he took it with him and said, you can't, you know, proprietary, you can't touch it. So uh, it was a compiler, compiler, a yak-like thing, but it was... Uh, uh, not a symbol at a time, it was matching, it was doing recursive descent, if you know the terminology. Uh, he, 
McElroy sat there and wrote on a piece of paper now, not on a computer, TMG written in TMG. Okay? Complete. He just did it, right? And it was beautiful handwriting. It was no scratches. I mean, it was like... TMG is... Pardon? TMG is... Transmogrifier. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and, uh, and then... He now has TMG written in TMG. He decided to give this piece of paper to his piece of paper and write down what came out, the code, which he did. And then he came over to my editor and he typed in his code, assembled it, and I won't say without error, but with so few errors you'd be astonished. Uh, he came up with a TMG compiler on the PDP-7 written in TMG. And it, it's the most basic, bare, impressive self-compilation I've ever seen in my life. All right, so anyway, it was there, it appeared. It was a, uh, a tool, really very early tool on the PDP-7. I decided no computer is complete without Fortran. It's got to have Fortran on every. <laughs> Nobody will ever buy a computer without a Fortran. So, <laughs> now, now, the the um, um, the PDB seven was eight K of eighteen bit words. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I ripped off four K for the system, right? Uh, I that was mine, and and then the user swapped through the other four K. And so I was writing Fortran in TMG. I was having a great time. And then the first time I tried to actually do it, it was like 10 times the size of the, 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 the thing over there. So I started cutting pieces out of it, you know, like, you know, down and down and down and down and down. When it finally got down to 4K, I called it B. And, and, uh, but it was right at 4K because it came from above, right? Uh, uh, there's no reason to stop when you get to where you want. Uh, so uh, then I put features in that I liked, and it would blow over 4K and not run. So I wrote a separate version of B, which was a virtual B, that would run the program out of disk. And so it would grow over 4K. I'd run it on virtual B to get the B source. The B source for both of them were the same. Uh, and uh, hopefully what I wrote was a compaction of some sort so it would get smaller, so it would go under 4K, so I could bring it back to being roughly real-time, kind of, you know. Uh, and this went over and over and over uh, until the final version of B. Uh, there was one other uh, added thing to B, which was... Uh, I saw Johnson's uh, semicolon version of the for loop. And I put that in. I, I stole it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and that went virtual and then came back down again. Uh, and then Dennis took it and uh, wanted to put it on the, the comp center, the big comp center. And he wrote a compiler for B for the big comp center. Uh, and he called it uh, Newbie. 
and NB, NB. And uh, uh, it was used to some extent, and it was externally ported to several universities. Uh, and then he decided that wasn't enough. Uh, at this point, uh, time had gone on, and we now had a PDP-11, and we started getting more memory for the PDP-11 so we could think about expansion. And we decided that we had to write Unix in a higher level language. It was just mandatory. This was all assembly language until then. So he started muting um, Nubi into C uh, uh, with the, the, the big deal was types. He put types in, in B. B and, B and the old, old C were very, very similar language except for the, all the types. Uh, new, B only had words. You load, store, add, everything was words. And the PDP-11 was bytes. So something had to be done to not waste a factor four on, on it. So anyway, I, long story short, all by himself, he converted that, made C. I, I then tried to rewrite the kernel in C, that, you know, whatever this current language was, which was called C, and uh, failed three times. Three total complete failures, and uh, uh, being, um, I, basically being an egotist, I blamed it on the language. <laughs> so, so he'd go back and, and beef up the language for something. And then finally, when structures came in, the way that structures did come into the language, which was completely outside of B. B had nothing resembling structures. Uh, uh, the port to Unix of C on the PDP-11 worked. You know, it was, before that, it was too complicated. I, I just couldn't keep it all together. And uh, so then there was a, uh, the first C version of Unix. And, uh, and C became a pretty, you had something to do with C, didn't you? <laughs> no, I had nothing to do with C. I twisted a guy's arm into writing a book, but that's the extent of my dog. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, shifting gears a bit, you, you started life as a, or some part of it, as an electrical engineer. You've been involved in a lot of different hardware things. Perhaps the most interesting piece of hardware that you uh, were deeply involved with was chess playing stuff. You want to talk about chess? Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I w I've always been interested in chess. I, I played it when I was like in the seventh grade because that's when Bobby Fischer was right at his height when I was in seventh. Bobby Fischer and I are like 10 days apart in age. Except that he's dead. <laughs> but so I, I would I would come home and on the cover of Life magazine would be Bobby Fisher, and here I am exactly the same age, and I'm a seventh grader. You know what? What do I do? And so I felt very very you know I don't know worthless. Uh, and I I joined the chess club. Uh, and played chess in, in school and was good at it, but I didn't like it. I didn't like to either win because, you know, you, 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 know, you, you feel sorry for, you know, somebody who would take it seriously. Most of them really do. And I didn't like to lose, of course. Uh, and that cut down on my options, you know. <laughs> so 
but but I, I I got hooked on chess, and I was a chess spectator as a, as a spectator sport. Now, no, very few people do this, but uh, like uh, now on the internet, you can get all the tournaments in real time and watch them. And I do, you know, I get up at four in the morning to watch something happening in Belarus, you know, um, and it's great. All the so anyway, back to chess. So. Um, I decided I was going to write a chess machine, uh, not a chess, a chess program, and I did. And the annual ACM tournaments, uh, ACM conventions, had a chess tournament sideline. And I went to the first one in 1972 with a, uh, 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 a C program that played chess. Uh, and I believe, but I'm not positive, that it was the very first C program that got out of Bell Labs. Uh, in some sense. And uh, I went to play against all these ombels and craze and, you know, on and on and on, and got my head handed to me and, and came to the conclusion that speed was what matters. That no matter if I had an algorithm and you had an algorithm and you went twice as fast as me, you can emulate what I was doing and set traps. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just normal sense. Um, so I went back and uh, built a little tiny chess machine. Well, actually, I built the first one was a one-board chess machine that plugged into a PDP-11, and then PDP-11 did all the work. And uh, um, played with that for a while, got ideas where it was slow, where it was fast. It was almost the same speed as the software because the interface was so clumsy. So then I built a microcoded machine on the side, which was now in a box about this square, that uh, was significantly faster. And I took it to a uh, 78 ACM tournament and won it. it you know, it was, it was shocking. Uh, and, uh, but then the 79 tournament, I tied or something like that. I basically, I didn't come in. I came in like, call it second, maybe tied for second and third. Uh, and I, so I went back, licked my wounds, and then I ran into Joe Condon, a massively uh, competent uh, design, uh, electric uh, engineering design thing. And he built a bunch of, uh, he and some other people, designed uh, design tools for building hardware that would take diagrams on screens, convert them into things, simulate the things, produce wires, minimize the wires, and then uh, the last step was that we modified a, uh, an XY plotter. And you would mount a wire wrap board underneath the XY plotter with the pin sticking up towards the, and the plotter instead of an ink pen had a notch, just a, you know, just a, 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 a cider, a site, or, uh, and you'd have a wire wrap gun in your hand and a, a, a bunch of wires. <laughs> and it would come and say, it would go to uh, you know, position itself, the XY plotter would position itself over one of the pins and you'd take out a wire and, and zap it on and then it would go to where it was supposed to go and you'd go over there and zap it on and you'd do this for eight hours and you had a chess machine. <laughs> and and I took that chess machine, and now this this one was serious. I mean, this was really serious. 
And it was about this tall from not the floor, but from my floor, uh, and about this square. And it had, again, it was run by a PTP 11, but it, uh, uh, it had uh, 16, 17 very large uh, wire wrap boards. They were about this big, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know, uh, uh, and it went off and it just trounced everybody. And again, speed kills, you know, it really does. Uh, uh, it was the world championship champion in 80, and then the U.S. champion. The U.S. was, was the, the name for the, the tournament that the ACM held every year. It was the U.S. champion from roughly 80 till 86 or 87, um, uh, until the craze started coming out. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, uh, infamously, by the way, infamously, the, uh, the, the, the does everybody know the Moscow trip uh, of of chess? Tell them, it's a good story. Uh, okay, so I was invited after I won the world championship in '80. I was invited by Botvinnik, if you know who that is, a very famous chess player in the Soviet Union, to come out. And mainly. I, I heard from my friends underground is they didn't believe that a chess program could be a master. It was a hoax, and they wanted to test it. So they invited me out to Moscow to give a set of demos. And the demos were, in fact, were a test. They had ranges of, of, of strengths of, of people they were going to put in tournaments with me and play. And I was happy to do it, you know. Uh, so I... Uh, package it up, and I wanted it to be on the plane that I was on out of Kennedy. And Kennedy has a freight terminal, and they said, if you wanted to be on the plane you're on, you have to come out and bring it out the day before. So I got in my car, drove all the way out to Kennedy, gave them this, this computer uh, with a whole bunch of words on it to, to make sure that it got to where I wanted it to go. And uh, legally, Bell Labs and made a carnet for it, you know, it would export, import, export, you know, kind of thing. Uh, a lot of paperwork, a lot of, you know, and I packed a suitcase full of spare parts, so if anything broke in this thing, I, I could just fix it, right? Uh, and left it at the freight terminal. Next day, I go out to the passenger terminal, get on my plane, land, and uh, uh, the, 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 a big contingent of, of, of very special people meet me, and they go out and the, they empty the plane and it's not there. Um, and I say, well, you know, I tried, I really tried, and they so they make all sorts of uh, inquiries and it says it's going to be here tomorrow. Oh, right. So big contingent goes out the next day, it's not there. <laughs> and this goes on. And uh, 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 now, in the background, um, uh, we were well-known, I was well-known by the head of security of Bell Labs uh, for various kind of strange, <laughs> strange reasons. Uh, as, as a real quick side thing, I had a license to kill. I don't know if you knew this. In Vic's uh, 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 file folder, 
saying, if you're caught in a funny place, don't worry, you know, he's, and, and Vic had me try to break into various things. Uh, and if I got caught, it was a get out of jail free card. So uh, as, a, as a kind of hands-on security expert. So anyway, I was known uh, by the, the head of security, his name was Crute. And Crute uh, had somebody who worked for him, used to, who quit or left and was a guard at uh, at uh, the Kennedy uh, transportation side, the, uh, the five minutes. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll haul them off the stage. Uh, they mean twenty. They mean twenty. The uh, uh, and they said that it's out there and it's got this uh, um, police yellow tape wrapped around it. Uh, saying don't don't touch it had a it had a telephone number on it period that was it uh, so through this and coming back to recruit and then going up through Bell Labs they tried to look at it and they uh, find it and no one would touch it uh, where it was because of all this tape and you call the phone number and they say who do you want and you, you say you know if, if you don't I say a password or something, whatever you're supposed to say, they hang up on you. And that, that was it. There was nothing else. So this, uh, my trip was aborted. Uh, it, was, it got more and more, I mean, they were pissed off at me. They were really seriously pissed off at me. And so I left uh, basically proving that it was all a hoax. <laughs> and came back, uh, 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 and, and now Bell, what, Bell was the name of the pro, uh, computer or the program, all the programs actually, uh, was a member of the local chess club. And I would go to the local chess club with it for several purposes. One, to get a, uh, an idea of rating of how good it was. And two, to calm the people down because uh, you can pick up 200 points by just playing somebody who's never played a computer before. It was frightening, you know, they, they, you know. It's a monster, it's a computer, it can kill you, you know, that kind of stuff. But I would give simultaneous exhibitions and everything. So anyway, it was a, a very familiar, very uh, popular member of the local chess club. I take it every week, Friday nights I take it. So I, I came up one Friday night alone because I didn't have a computer. And they, uh, they all asked what was going on, where is it, can I play it, this kind of stuff. So I... I, I, I I, I gave a story. I gave the story up to that point. And the next week I came back to, again alone to the um, uh, chess club. And somebody who was a member of the chess club worked for a throwaway newspaper in Long Island, the, one of these Sunday things you find you know, freebie on your, on, on your, on your lawn. Uh, and he said that he told his editor about it, and his editor wanted to write a story. Would it be okay? And I said, sure. So we sat and we talked, and then uh, not the next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, it came out on this Long Island newspaper. And two days later, um, uh, the Washington uh, Post got it and called me up, and I told the whole story to him. And he says, uh, and I says, and we're, we're you know, we, we've got. Everybody looking for this thing, and we can't find out who wants it, what they want, what's it all about. And and uh, he says, just a second, I'll try to find, I'll, I'll check on it. And I said, all right, good, you know. 
Ten minutes later, he called me up. He found the guy. He found what they want. He found what it was all about. And what had happened is the day before I took my computer down to the terminal, uh, Reagan, that tells you <laughs> when this happened, uh, had made an announcement uh, where he used the term hemorrhage of technology, how the United States is just giving away everything. <laughs> and and, uh, and I had very carefully written all over this thing, computer, Moscow. <laughs> and man, it was snatched up not, not 10 seconds later. So, and and uh, they wanted to get out of it as uh, unembarrassingly as they could because uh, it, it was a PR story that was now in the, the post. Uh, and so... Uh, the Post wrote a story on it. It was, it was a very good story. And the next day, everybody called, you know, Scientific American, uh, Science, uh, uh, Popular Mechanics, uh, uh, what's, what's, what, uh, Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and and every, every newspaper, you know, uh, uh, at some point, they, they put people on to, to answer these questions. And... Uh, and then the day after that, all these things started coming out. And I got a call after the day after that from somebody saying, well, we have your computer. <laughs> they called me. We have your computer. We'd like to give it back. And uh, I said, okay, well, you know, you know where I am. And, and they said, uh, but you don't understand. It was technically illegal, and we can't just ignore that. We're, we're going to have to fine you. And I said, okay, uh, how much? And they say the fine is 10% of the price of the thing you're, you're illegally exporting. And they said, so how much is it? And I said, well, uh, for the budget for building it, the parts, it's one of a kind, so it's hard to put a price on it. The parts were $17,000. And, and he thought for a second, he says, you don't seem to understand. We're going to charge you 10% <laughs> of that price. Surely it was used, right? I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he talked himself down to a couple hundred dollars, and 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 Bell Labs paid the fine, and it showed up in the lobby. They delivered it to the lobby the next day. Um, Evan, what should we do on time? Well, I'm confused. I stepped out. And we're talking about chefs, not eunuchs. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, okay, so I don't know if the microphone is on to speak up. Um, first of all, thank you. to raise those same hands, please? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, would you take a motion for an extension? <laughs> uh, Ken has graciously agreed to stick around a while. Um, we expect a receiving line. Please be brief with your time. Don't hog the man. Everyone else wants him to. 
We're going to take them down to the Unix exhibit at some point. Um, the autograph selfies, but respect his time, respect everyone else's time. Um, the DCF is open. Uh, so, uh, 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 again, as you see,